Let's pray. Let's get into the word this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for your anointing. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you are with us, Lord, in season and out, out of season. Father, you, you ask us to speak your truth and to continue to speak your truth. And so, Father, we want to speak truth. We want to hear truth this morning. So, Lord, I pray that you would anoint me as your speaker. Let me speak the words that please you and that build your church, that build your people. And, Father, anoint everyone's ears to really hear what your spirit is saying. Father, I'm only a human being trying to uh, deliver something that you've placed into my heart, Father, but it's your wisdom that everyone needs, including myself. So, Lord, speak wisdom to us, Lord. Even when I say something, Father, let them hear even greater, Father, from, from your heart. Bring your truth into our lives in a, in a great way, in a, in a powerful way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. We are taking back Pentecost. Yeah. We are taking back Pentecost. We're going to get straight into it this morning, get into some scriptures. We've been looking at these different scriptures, and I've mentioned them a couple of times. Colossians 1, 26 says that there's a mystery that has been hidden from the past ages and generations, which has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow, this was something that was being uh, declared at the beginning of the church and explained. People didn't understand what was going on. And here, here's Paul explaining this to the church, that this is a mystery that's been hidden. No one understood what was coming and what was going to be delivered. And, uh, but it was basically that Christ, the anointed one, would live within us as a human being. And he is our hope of glory. Luke 24, 49, Jesus kind of hinted towards this um, before he left when he said, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So he was saying to them, there's something that's coming. There's something that you need to wait for. Uh, but it was still a mystery. It was still hidden. They still didn't fully grasp what was going on. And so at the beginning of Acts, where Jesus was getting ready to be taken up in, by a cloud, and there were about 500 disciples standing around waiting, he says to them, well, it says here in verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel. So still they didn't understand. They knew something was coming. They knew that there was a power that was about to clothe them. They, they understood that they, he'd told them that. He, they'd said, you know, that he'd said that, there was, that they needed to wait, but they still didn't quite grasp it because they're saying, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this a nationalistic thing that you're doing, that we're going to become a great uh, a nation on our own right again? <clears throat> and he said to them, in verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So we're looking at this whole principle of the anointing. As you know, we're on a journey and uh, we're discovering what the anointing really means to us. And today I want to really look at the fact that Pentecost marked the unveiling of a supernatural power and a supernatural wisdom. We've just read that the hope of the world is actually Christ in you and I. That is the hope of the world because he becomes our wisdom and we learned that last week. We have a power that is available to us 
that has the potential to transform nations. That's a pretty amazing thought. We have the power available to us that has the potential to transform the nations. But the church as a whole, corporately, has to know how to contend for this faith that you and I have received. And so it's kind of a, a serious time at the moment, a serious moment. And I suppose every generation says that, but hey, if they have, well, here we are again, another generation, and we're saying the same thing. It is a serious moment. There is a sense of urgency. And last week we began to look at the principle of encountering him so that we might understand. And we truly start to tap into that wisdom that God has for us when we have a face-to-face -face with him, when we really encounter him. And you know, up until that point, God's wisdom is actually hidden from anyone who's trying to understand or comprehend God just with mere human wisdom. And if they're trying, especially if they're trying to bypass the cross, they're not going to be able to access or understand who God is. And Jesus addressed this when he was talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. Remember, these were people that represented God in that era. And yet this is what he said to them in John 5, 39 and 40. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. It's amazing. 1 Corinthians 2.7, we, we read about this last week, that there's a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory, for us, for us to participate in, for us to have access to through Christ in us, the hope of glory, this secret and hidden wisdom. Because the, the truth is that man can't possibly mentally ascend to that kind of knowledge, not in their own strength. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, proved that. And we, we sort of talked about this a little bit last week, how even though he was a great scholar, he was a brilliant mind, had incredible natural wisdom. I mean, this guy called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, you know, the top of the, the religious leaders of his day. He was a Hebrew amongst Hebrews. And yet he killed Christians thinking that he was operating in God's wisdom and God's plan. Isn't that amazing? He figured that that was God's wisdom and God's plan. That was until he met and encountered Jesus. And when he had a face-to-face -face with Jesus, that's when he really saw who Jesus was and he understood. He actually realized who he was. And he went on to write so many things throughout all the letters, all the, the 13 or possibly 14 letters in the New Testament that he wrote. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And most of it featured the cross because he went on to say in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He met the power of the cross. He met that dunamis, that dynamite power of God in the cross. Guys, there's no other sermon that we can really preach. You know, we can't keep wanting our ears to be tickled and look for something else that's going to reach some sense of fulfillment. It's the power of the cross. It always has been. It always will be. There's not going to be anything else that replaces the power of the cross. Yeah. He understood that. And he went on in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 12, and he said, but now we have received the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And that's why when he went on in chapter 2, Oh, he prefaced all of that in chapter two at the beginning of it when he said, and I, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with the superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. 
I determined. I chose to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He deliberately chose to know nothing else amongst them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God, the dunamis of God, the dynamite of God. We're blind. We are blind. We can't see. We don't know anything until we believe the foolishness of the cross. We're nothing. Because at the cross, he reveals the depths of God. This is the mystery. You know, I, I understand that feeling when he talks about, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. And I chose to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. You know, I know what that feels like to be in weakness and in much trembling. Every time I pretty much get up to re re preach the word of God, I feel like I'm in weakness and I'm in fear and I'm in much trembling because it's like I see so many people messing up their lives, messing up their lives because they want to use their own natural wisdom when in fact the real wisdom is the wisdom of the cross. And I watch people and I try and I stand and I want to preach and I want to deliver the truth of God. And the truth of God never changes. Remember, the truth of God is never going to become old fashioned. The truth of God is never going to lose its power. The truth of God will, will stand the test of trends. It will stand the test of time. It will stand the test of, of whatever the world goes through, whatever it has been through, every war, every revolution, every change in dominion and government and power in the nations. The truth of the cross has never changed. It is the only redeeming power. It is the only dynamite power that can transform human beings. And when we try and sidestep that, when we try and go around that and circumvent that, we will not live happy lives. We will not live happy lives. It is a life of surrender that, is called us, that God has called us to. We are blind. We are nothing without the power of the cross operating in and through our lives. God is calling for a life of complete surrender. And when we do, that mystery that was hidden from the ages and past generations, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory, we, we get to have God's best kept secret in us. Isn't that the most amazing thing? And it says in Colossians 1 Corinthians 1.24 that it's Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is who He is. He's both our power and He's our wisdom. What more do we need? When human beings are searching for power, human beings are searching for wisdom. It's all encapsulated in Him. It's, it's the most amazing thing. Paul knew what it was to rely on his own sense of knowledge. And he knew how far off track that had taken him. And it's incredible when you read what he says in light of that understanding, when you realize, because this man, think about it, he's killed human beings. He hasn't just preached against them, he's gone and actually killed them on behalf of what he perceives as God's wisdom. And then he has this literal encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Because if you've done it to the least of them, you've done it to me. You've done it to him. And he has a face-to-face -face and he encounters Jesus and all of a sudden he understands. 
But the fear of God now overcame this man. And he says in verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, for consider your commissioning, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And then he finishes by by saying, He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom. And that's why Paul narrowed it right down to going in Philippians 1.21. This is all he can say. For, for, to, to me, to live is Christ. Full stop. To live is Christ. That's all. He is the power. He is my power. He is the mystery and the secret hidden wisdom of God, which was hidden from the past ages and generations. So God calls us to live in that kind of small place that Paul lived in, that narrow road. That little place of just hate to live is purely Christ. We've had too many sermons. We've had too many blogs. There are just too many podcasts. And there are too many man-made movements that are trying to appeal to man's wisdom. And when I look at it and when I read a lot of it and when I listen to a lot of it, it's just hot air. It's all humanism. The dictionary says that humanism is a rationalist system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. In other words, it's exalting man above God. And I I fear that we've created an addiction to humanistic kind of knowledge rather than the power of God doing the work and becoming the wisdom in us. The crazy thing is that there's such a paradox. You know, it's a It's there for everyone. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. You know, His desire is that none should perish. This is the heart of God. And yet the paradox is that it's hidden to those who rely on human wisdom, to those who want to sidestep the cross, who don't want to have Jesus involved, that wisdom is actually hidden to them. It's such a paradox when you think about it. So today, the title of my sermon is The Anointing, The Unveiling of Supernatural Power and Wisdom That Go Hand in Hand. The church is promised a power that will clothe us and will transform communities and even nations. We read earlier how the promise of the Father was to come upon the disciples and was going to clothe them with power. We also read earlier how when when that happened, they would receive power. And not only to be witnesses where they were, but even to the remotest parts of the earth. And that 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 power is Christ, the anointed one. He is the power of God and the wisdom of God. I want us to read in Acts chapter 2. Let's go to Acts chapter 2 right now and see what happened when that that power that Jesus told them about actually came upon them. Now remember, it's 10 days earlier. These guys are thinking... Maybe, you know, he's going to, maybe this is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to restore um, the, the, the kingdom to Israel. Maybe he's going to restore Israel to this amazing uh, government here on earth. And so that's kind of the background of their thinking. And they're waiting. They don't know what's coming, but they are waiting. And then, of course, the power of God comes. So let's pick it up. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So they're waiting for this power. They're not sure what it is. And all of a sudden, something supernatural comes upon them. 
Not only does it come on them, but other people can see it, and not only can they see it, but they can hear it. And, and in actual fact, the, the disciples refer back to that. As you read through the chapters of the book of Acts, he says what they heard and what they saw upon us. It was very evident. This was a, a very evident physical manifestation of this power that Jesus said would come upon them. This power that would clothe them. This power that he said, don't even think about building my church until you receive this kind of power. It's the only way that you're going to do this. It comes through the journey and the road of the cross. You just know nothing else except Christ and Him crucified. To live is only going to be by the anointed one living within you, but there's going to be a power that comes upon you that's going to be phenomenal. And so then in verse 14, we see what happens to Peter. And you've heard me mention this before. Peter stands up. This guy is transformed now. And in verse 14, it says, Peter, taking his stand with the 11, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose. For it is the, only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And he goes on to quote him, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. He begins to quote out of the book of Joel and begin to declare, this is exactly what is happening right now. Now remember, this guy is a fisherman. Remember, he's uneducated. Remember, he hasn't been going to the synagogue. He's not a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's not a Hebrew amongst Hebrews. He's a smelly fisherman. And that's what he's done to raise funds for his family. And yet here he is suddenly quoting and picking up the book of Joel and knowing there's a wisdom now that's coming upon him and it's coming hand in hand with the supernatural power. It's, it's incredible when you begin to realize this is what is happening to him. They were praying in a new prayer language. And as he's doing that, he's preaching with new wisdom and new insight. And that's, it's almost like, okay, now's the point we start to build the church. We're going to build the church from here. So if that's the pattern of the early church, guys, why would we change the blueprint of the early church? Why would we try and reformat that? This was the, this was the blueprint. This is how God chose to do it. It's amazing. When the Spirit of God comes on people, there is such a boldness to preach. Even though we tremble and we feel weak and we, we deliver in fear and trembling because we don't want anyone just uh, receiving anything out of, out of our own wisdom. But when the Spirit of God is on someone declaring the Word of God, there is an incredible boldness to be able to be truthful, to be able to stand up. Through actually see just the boldness that came upon these people. Even on Peter and John in chapter 4, they were, they were arrested because they're using the name of Jesus. They were jailed. And uh, they were placed in front of the rulers and the uh, elders. And there's this incredible intimidation that's coming against them. But look at what happens to them. Acts chapter 4 verse 7 says this. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power, this is the, the rulers that are saying this, the Sanhedrin are saying, by what power and in what name have you done this? Oh, this is fairly intimidating stuff. Then Peter, look at the next phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 
rulers and elders of the people. And it, once again, this boldness, this clarity of thinking, this understanding of truth, this understanding of the, of the principles of God. Like, where is that wisdom coming from? It's coming from the power of the Holy Spirit, of a supernatural power that is connected with the wisdom of God. Christ is our power and He is our wisdom from God. You can't separate power from wisdom. But it's not just for the preachers. It's not just for the apostles. It's for all believers. Look what happened in Acts chapter 4, verse... Um, Oh, actually, let me go back to this. Before we get on to that it's for all believers, this is what's absolutely amazing. When we get filled with the Holy Spirit and there's this boldness, we don't have to be worried about what we're going to say. Luke 12, 11 and 12 says this, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense and what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Isn't that amazing? That's what's happening to Peter and John right now. They're before the Sanhedrin. They're before the rulers and the elders and the leaders. Ten days earlier or however earlier on, they're still questioning, are you about to restore the king to, to Israel? Like there was a lot of misunderstanding and natural wisdom going on in their thinking. But here all of a sudden there's the most phenomenal clarity about what God is doing. Guys, this is the move of God that we want. This, we're done with our own wisdom. Who's done with man's wisdom in building church? I'm done. We're done. We need the power of God. God is now filling their mouths with truth. You see that story later on, I think it's either Acts 6 or 7, where Stephen is, is stoned. Is it Acts 7, Brahm? Six, and he, he's stoned and he begins, before that happens, he begins to just preach and he gives the entire gospel, the good news from beginning to end. And this wisdom, like he didn't have his notes, he hadn't printed it out that morning and, and studied and prayed in the spirit first. No, he got, he got thrown before these people. He's about to be killed. And all of a sudden he remembers, I don't have to worry about what I'm going to say because the spirit of God's going to give me the words. And he stands up and all of a sudden this thing just begins to flow out of him. There is a boldness that comes out of him. And it is for all believers, like I started to say before. Acts 4, 31 says this, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled. This is the whole church. They gathered together to pray. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. So now the believers are speaking the Word of God. Now they're the ones going out and sharing the truth. These are people that have probably only been saved a few days, a few weeks. But all of a sudden, the Spirit of God's coming on them. They've heard the truth. All they know, remember, all, they haven't got the New Testament yet. Remember, all they're hearing is about the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the glorification of Jesus. That's the theme of every sermon in the book of Acts, all five of them. That's all they're hearing. It's about Christ and Him crucified and Him raised, being raised from the dead and, being, and ascending into glory and being the firstborn amongst many brethren, which is you and I now. That's all they're hearing. And now they're going out and they're bringing that word to people. It's so simple. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The Bible tells us that we are to keep being filled with the Spirit. We need this supernatural wisdom. We need this supernatural power. But we are to keep being filled. Ephesians 5, 15 to 19 says this. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, 
making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now it's incredible because that that phrase there, be filled with the Spirit, is actually, when you look at the background of that word, it's actually present continuous tense. So if you change it, it actually says be being filled, be being constantly filled. There's one baptism, but many infillings. We need to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. He frames it by saying, first of all, you've got to be wise. Don't be unwise. And then in your wisdom, then number two, understand the will of God. Remember, we, we talked about how we've got the mind of Christ. We can understand the will of God. We can because of this secret wisdom that's been released in us, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And it's all connected to being filled with the Holy Spirit. So in other words, those who are wise know the will of God, and those who know the will of God are those who are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just this simple pathway, a simple journey to the wisdom of God. Stay filled with the Holy Spirit. Be being filled. Be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why I always say we can actually live in revival every day of our lives. We don't have to feel dry and go through dry seasons. We, can be, we have rivers of living water available to us. They're in us, but they've got to flow through us. And they've got to use our mouth to pray through us. Every time we pray in the Spirit, every time we make melody to God, every time we worship God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth who is in us, we are worshiping in spirit and in truth. We have that flow of the Spirit of God every time we actively choose to worship, every time we actively choose to pray in tongues, every time we actively choose to pray the Word of God, actively choose to be wise and to look to the the cross and the understanding of, of dying to ourselves, instantly we begin to understand the mind of Christ. It's just this never-ending circle because it's all connected to each other. It's the most incredible principle. Remember, everything pertaining to life and godliness has actually been given to us. We already are partakers of this divine nature. It's already in us. But the problem is with so many of us believers is that we're not utilizing what God has given to us. So we see that God is not just speaking to us, but he's also praying through us. Um, You know, just this week, you probably already heard about it, but we see another high-profile Christian worship leader, Marty Sampson, put his uh, name out there on the internet that he's um, struggling in his beliefs and everything. Um, You know, this is going to happen more and more. There will definitely be more people. You know, there was another guy called Bart Campolo, the son of Tony Campolo. And Bart was actually a pastor of a church, and yet um, now he is what he calls a humanist chaplain. Um, You know, there are are many people out there, people that um, have big names, people who are completely unknown, who are walking away from their faith. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we really know him or are we merely being Christianized? Because I think so much 
uh, of church culture can Christianize people because it makes people feel like they belong to something. It's a family that we belong to. But there's a shifting and there's a shaking happening right now. And it's funny because I actually think it's possibly the mercy of God in action uh, to see what is really on the inside of people and um, to really give people a chance to encounter him properly. Because it's not church culture that people were supposed to ever encounter. It wasn't an atmosphere, a pseudo-atmosphere of worship or a pseudo-atmosphere of the Holy Spirit that people were ever meant to encounter. They were meant to encounter Him. And um, I think there's a, a, a change to church culture as we know it. It's almost like there's a recalibrating of church. You know, Brown was reminding me of a prophet back in the 80s who we heard prophesy. He said that the time is coming when the whole church will be reduced to just Jesus, to simply Jesus. I kind of think that's probably happening now. What do you reckon? Now, that was 40 years ago. Yeah? And um, I think that's possibly happening right now. And I think it's a good thing. I think when the shifting and the shaking starts to happen, we can't be afraid of that. We can't be afraid of the shifting, the shaking, the changing, the questioning. We can't be afraid of that at all. We just need to make sure that we ourselves have encountered him, that we're not just merely Christianized. And, um, you know, it's amazing. The last book, the last letter that was written before the book of Revelations or the last letter that's been placed before the book of Revelations, which talks about the end of the world, um, is the book of Jude. And in the book of Jude, he actually warned of such times as these. In Jude, verse 3, it says this, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all handed down to the saints. And so we, how do we contend for the faith? You know, to contend for the faith, we have to know the word of God. And uh, we don't want to be found wanting. We don't want to be found wanting in this area. 1 John 2, 24, and I read this scripture a few weeks ago. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. We've got to let it remain in us. This is the responsibility of every single one of us as people who are following God, as intelligent believers. We've got to keep filling ourselves with the Word of God. Let it abide in us. Remember, the Word of God is a seed, but it has to find soil to be able to open up and produce a crop in our lives. A seed, like I always say, if I put it here on this tray up here, in two years' time, if we don't move it, that seed will still be there and it will still just be a seed. Even in 50 years' time, 100 years' time. And you think about the potential that is within that seed. More seeds, more trees, forests are within that one seed. Yeah? And yet that seed is worthless and it is nothing unless it's abiding in good soil. Once it's in the soil of our hearts, that seed begins to grow. It begins to take root. And that's why we read that, that uh, from, from the Apostle John when he says in 1 John 2, 24, what you heard from the beginning, let it abide in you. Stay in the Word of God. Yeah. You know, Christianity is a day in, day out process. It's not a whole bunch of highs and lows and exciting meetings and mountaintop experiences. Those mountaintop experiences, they happen. Believe me, I've had them over the years. But it's not the mountaintop experience that have got Brahmanai to this point in our lives, that's for sure. I mean, I can only speak for us personally. 
It's the day in, day out, putting that seed in, letting that seed take root in our hearts and not just putting it in, but obeying it. You know, holding it up like a mirror and let, looking into that mirror and not walking away from that mirror and forgetting what we saw, but keeping the Word of God in front of us. That is our lifeline. That is the truth. You know, people nowadays, they're, they're wanting this other extra kind of wisdom. They're looking for some other kind of uh, wisdom out there to understand this and to comprehend that. And it's so simple. It's in the Word of God. It's in Him. It's knowing Him. You know, you can almost, when you start to study what Paul was like and then what happened to him, you can, can almost sense the fear of God in him. You know, when he came to those people in Corinth, he said, I chose, I determined to know nothing. And yet imagine all the knowledge that he could have drawn on. He could have done what Peter did on the day of Pentecost. But Peter did that purely from a supernatural perspective because he actually wasn't learned. He didn't know all those things. On the other end of the scale, Paul did. He would have understood now. But even then, he was too terrified to operate out of his own wisdom, out of his own knowledge. He literally stuck to the program. He said, I'm just going to preach this because I don't want your responses to be based on any great wisdom because he knew all he had to do was open the door, tap into some of that wisdom. You know, he tried that on Mars Hill, wasn't it? He tried that and, he, and it fell flat. He tried to, to, to be wise and philosophical, but it didn't go anywhere. So now he's saying, no, 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 this is what we're going to do. I'm just going to preach him. And you know what? The power of God's going to come regardless of what I even happen to know. Because it's all him. It's all him. It's the Word of God. See, when we fall in love with the Word of God, it goes into the soil of our hearts. And if we don't know the Word of God, what faith are we contending for? And there's so much confusion out there. There's so much confusion. It's ripping Christians up. It's pulling them apart. It's got them questioning their faith. There are going to be so many more. Put your seatbelts on because it's all happening. And I kind of feel like God's probably in it. He's shaking a bit because he wants people to come face to face with, well, what do I really believe? Have I just been sucked into a belief system that has just Christianized me or just, you know, what who is God? Where is God? Who is Jesus? What do I believe about Jesus? These are big questions. And these are things that, that every single one of us need to be able to understand. Like I always say to you, it's not good enough to say, oh, ask Brahman die what they preach on and you'll know what I believe. No, that's not good enough. You guys have to know what you believe based on the word of God and go to the word of God. So we've got to contend and, and let that word remain in us. And then in verse 17, he goes on to say this. He says, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time, there will be uh, mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions. Like we're talking about people in the church here. This isn't people outside in the world. The world, what, they don't want to divide a church. They, they don't even come to church. Okay, they couldn't care less, Right. These are the ones, verse 19 says, who cause divisions. They are worldly minded. What does worldly minded mean? It means they're fleshly. What does fleshly mean? That they're relying on their own Sophia, their own wisdom. Yeah, what we've talked about. They're worldly minded. They are devoid of the spirit, of the true spirit. They're empty of the spirit. They're not part of us. They came in, but they went out from us 
to show that they were really never part of us, John said. And then he goes on to say this, but you, beloved. So he's talking to the people who are hanging in there. He's saying, come on, you've got to contend. Like, the very fact that he's even started this, this letter by saying, you've got to contend. You've got to contend. It's not an easy thing. In other words, this was a, a difficult season that these Christians were living in. How many of us know that being a Christian is not easy? We are the minority, not only in the world, not only in, in our society, but even in our own personal lives. It's hard. We've got to contend for this truth. There's a pushback on us all the time. And so he says, he's encouraging them, and he says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously. These are tense words. These are pressured words. These are words that are saying, come on, you've got to keep yourself there, you've got to contend, you've got to build yourselves, you've got to keep yourselves there, and you've got to wait anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. This is pretty much all I want to say here this morning is, is, is what I've just said. There is a contending that is happening. It's been happening for quite a long time. I felt a real shift probably 10 or so years ago. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And, um, you know, I remember even then, in 2009, our Manifest Conference, we called it Contend for the Faith. And um, that burden has never really probably lifted off of, of Brahm and I. And there's been a real season even since then of, of a, like a shakedown of the church, of the people of God, to see what's really in us, and in, included in Brahm and I. Like the last 10 years have been very difficult, um, but it's been, it's been the disciplining of God. It's been the correction of God. It's been to purify our faith. It's to put us through the purifier's goal, to put us through that purifying fire, of, of the Spirit of God. You know, I remember having a dream. And uh, I don't often talk about my dreams because they're extremely subjective. But I will tell you this dream. I, I had a dream in 2006 that as a leadership, we were walking through a jungle. It was very dense on either side. And as we were going through this jungle, there was a very narrow, cleared path for us to all walk in. And we were walking along, and Brahma and I were up the front leading these people. And and in the middle of the, this, we, we couldn't go to the left or the right because it was so dense. And we came across this huge pond, and it was in the way of our journey. And so as we're walking, you guys can start, thanks. It'd be good. Um, <clears throat> as we're going along, it wasn't a pond of water. It was actually a pond of molten gold, and it was bubbling. And then it, we all knew that we had to keep going and we had to get to the other side. And uh, the only way to do it was to go through it. And you know, as dreams are, they don't make sense in the natural. But we all knew in the dream that we had to go through fast. If we went through quickly, we'd be fine, which kind of doesn't make sense because you're going through bubbling molten gold. Um, but that's, that was the, the wisdom in the dream was that we had to go through very fast. And so Brahma and I led the charge and we went through, bang, we came out the other side. And as we watched, one by one, there were a few people that made it, but there were other people that got stuck. 
in that, that golden pond, bubbling molten gold. And as I woke up, I realized that we were entering a season where we're going to be put through the refiner's fire. And I feel like at the time I felt like it was for our church, but I tend to think now looking at what's happening in the world, I tend to feel like it's the whole church. But the whole church has been put through the refiner's fire to see what is really in us. Because, you know, the, the refiner's fire is there to destroy the things that are trying to destroy us. But unless we go through it fast and we, we seek out the, the rivers of living water, the water that will actually quench the fire, we're going to get stuck. We're going to get stuck in that, that, that place of not allowing the discipline of God, not allowing the correction of God. But there's a refiner's fire that's been happening in the body of Christ. And I remember even 10 years ago preaching a sermon about, you know, having a a Plaza Indonesia style church. And Plaza Indonesia is a big shopping centre in in Indonesia and they're just magnificent with marble. And I don't know if anyone remembers that sermon, but basically it was all about in this incredible shopping centre that Brahma and I were in. It was so unrealistic. There are all these people trading and, and exchanging money to be able to buy very expensive things when right outside in that city of Jakarta there was a, a river that was black it was it was smelly and it was stagnant and I remember standing in this very surreal kind of situation in this marble concrete thing that was erected to, to just display the you know that the trading that goes on between human beings and unrealistic things that not many people can aspire to and, and attain to. And I thought, why is the nation, of, why is the government of Indonesia spending more money on this kind of thing? And they've completely ne- neglected the very thing outside, which actually brings life to their millions, hundreds of millions of people. And God instantly spoke to me and said, that's what's happening in my church. The church is building these these." called the house of God and there's a lot of trading I'll I'll give you my gifting if you give me a title if you give me fame if you give me a sense of identity and meanwhile where's Jesus Jesus isn't in that place Jesus is actually out by the river he's actually out there working on the water source for his people and for too long we've neglected the water source in people's lives And there's been a lot of trading. And I remember preaching on this 10 years ago, saying, come on guys, the church culture is killing us. There's a trading culture that's happening in church. And I remember people didn't like me after that. They didn't want to come to manifest anymore. They thought I was talking about their church. Well, I was talking about the church. If the shoe fits, I guess wear it. It's not my responsibility. I'm just delivering what I felt was a prophetic word from God. And that is my job. And I stand with fear and trembling, declaring these things. But there is an old system that is going away. There was another sermon that I used to preach. And it was at the same time, it was all about Eli. He was the high priest at the time. And it was right when Samuel came along. And he was going to be this prophet in in, in Israel. But at the time of Eli, Eli had his sons and they were 
wicked sons and they were doing the wrong thing by the people of God. And it says that they would stand in the tent of meeting and that, and that when the people would bring their, their sacrifices to the, to the Lord, they would take the best of the fat. And it wasn't meant for them. And in the end, because of their sin, because they took from the next generation of believers, they ended up dying. They ended up dying. They were killed. Their babies were killed. That whole generation and the next generation of that family line were killed and destroyed. And it was at that point that they cried out, the glory of God has left Israel. You know what I believe it is? Even as I'm speaking this now, I believe the old system of church is about to die. It's about to go. It is going. It is going. Because there's been too much trading. There's been too much reinforcement of man's wisdom and man's will and man's way of doing church. And it's stifled the very heartbeat and the life of God. And it's ripped apart the very, the very containers of God that are supposed to be filled with living water, not black, smelly, stagnant water. God is bringing back life into His church and He's going to do it His way. But even 10 years ago when I preached this, I could feel the resistance. I was, me and a few others were lonely voices. The church at large didn't like this kind of message because they had what looked like revival. Guys, I'm sorry, but we're, it's not revival. Large churches, big numbers is not revival. I know, so I can tell you names right now of people that have left the Lord, people that have been pastoring, that are walking away from the truths of God's Word because God was never really perhaps in them. They never really encountered Him in the first place. Come on, we need to contend for a faith that is ours. We need to know the Word of God. We need to pray in the Spirit of God because through the Spirit of God, we will gain the wisdom of God. Because when we pray in tongues, we're not praying our own wisdom. We are praying His wisdom. When we, all I know is all the Brahman I have are the Word of God and praying in tongues. That's pretty much all Brahman I rely on. And we make sure we keep ourselves in the love of God. And guys, I know that's not easy. I know what it is to get kicked and punched around emotionally and pulled and pushed and everything, but we've got to do it. You've got to go back to the Word of God. You've got to keep praying in the Spirit of God and you've got to stay in the love of God, in your marriages, in your relationships, in the church. This is the only place, guys. Great wisdom and knowledge and earthly knowledge isn't going to cut it. Just because something looks grand doesn't mean that it's from God. It's so simple. It is so simple. I've watched too many people not listen and not hear what God has been trying to say. And I, I'm crying out now. I'm crying out saying, guys, please listen.